Hello, everyone. I'm Shannon Torrance, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on proof of afterlife, whose mission is to bring hope and inspiration to others and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. If these interviews resonate with you and you want to hear more like them, you can support the podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing with like-minded friends. Thank you so much, and thank you for being a part of the Magic is Real family. I wish you peace, light, and love always. listeners. Thank you for being here. My guest today is Jerome Braggs. I'm very happy to have him here. I've listened to a lot of interviews with him. There's so much to delve into. Um, instead of me telling you who he is, because he's so many things. I just want to say that Jerome is a spiritual healer with a focus on self-love and he often refers to himself as the soul medicine man. Did I get that right? <laughs> yes. I love that. Um, so I would love for you to share with the world what it is that you do. What is your soul's purpose? What are you doing? And then, of course, we will go into the near-death experience that brought you to this point. But I'd love to know about you, starting with today. Mm, just starting with today. So yeah. There's so much with me today. Well, I um, I'll start here. I am what, what most people want to know is what do you do. So I'll start yeah. with that. Yeah. So I am an intuitive healer who teaches people how to heal themselves and manifest lives that feel like heaven on earth through the practice of self love. And why I do that is because I learned through. Um, a near-death experience and a healing journey after that near-death experience that self-love is really our purpose here. It's the entire purpose of the soul here and that it is the key to everything. It is a key to well-being. And without self-love, there is no well-being. You cannot have well-being. It is impossible. You can't have it in your life and you can't have it in your body. Um, and <clears throat> that was my own journey, as we'll talk about. But that was what I learned um, and it's been proven true in time and time and time again. And my work in the world is to help people prove it to themselves. Because my thing is, I'm not as interested in you just listening to me and hearing me. I mean, um, part of my ego feels like that's a good thing. But I'm more interested in you taking what I talk about and proving it to yourself. Because it's nothing if you can't prove it for your own life and continue to prove it for your life. So I teach the principles of self-love that I learned that help us heal whatever ails us and wherever it's ailing us and unlock the key to heaven right here. Cause this is supposed to be heaven too, by the way, um, while we're living. So that's my work. That's what I do in the world. Um, I'm also a poet. I'm actually writing a book of poetry right now. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've said that publicly, but yet, so this is the first reveal. Breaking news. Um, but I am, this is breaking news. So I am writing a book of um, a collection of my poems right now. Um, and other than that, I'm, I'm a person who, a soul who is tr trying in every way he possibly can to live the most delicious experience possible. That was so beautifully said. And so many things were going through my mind. One is that what really struck me as you said, that's why we're here. 
the self-love journey. And so many times I've said in the past, and my girlfriends have said to me, I remember clearly um, that we've said, why is it so hard to love ourselves? Why are we so always beating ourselves up and we're so hard on ourselves? And that explains it. Because if it weren't difficult, we wouldn't have to try. We wouldn't have to delve deeper. We not try, but we wouldn't have to delve deeper to find that self-love within ourselves. And as you said, your journey was one of discovering self-love. So was mine. So were, so it was a lot of, I'm sure that's, that's true of a lot of people, but mine too, which I've talked about on this podcast as a recovering addict, long time recovering love addict always looking for love elsewhere. And so it's very relevant to me, which is I think why your story really touches me so specifically and why I relate so much. So I'd love to hear whatever you're comfortable sharing about what was your life like before your near-death experience? Hmm. Yeah, so <clears throat> but it wasn't very loving. <laughs> I definitely say that we can start with that. Um, before my near-death experience, I'll, I'll tell you about what was happening right before the experience. So yeah. before, right before the experience, I had just graduated college and I had moved from Atlanta to DC uh, to get my first professional job. This is important to understand because I always knew, even since I was a young, probably early, early teenager, that um, at that time, I wanted, I didn't want to work a nine-to-five, that that wasn't what, that I knew that that wasn't part of my makeup as a person, that I wanted more freedom and I wanted something else. I didn't, my dream was never to work a job that fit into a nine to five. I wanted to sing, I wanted to be an artist. Um, but here I was, my first professional job out of college was a nine to five and wasn't involving singing or, <laughs> or any type of art. Um, and so I was starting to feel like um, I was trapped because I said uh, what, what I had made up in my mind was, well, one, I got heavily socialized, as we all do in college, that after you go to college, you got you to get a job, you got to make money, you got to work, you got to support yourself, you got to make a lot of money. And so I, I began, began to be conditioned into that, that I have to work. And there were some situations that happened um, where my family members my my parental systems were getting ill and they couldn't support me anymore and so there was this pressure for me to get a job to get a job and support myself and support myself and i thought i was working this job that i liked um and that was going to give me freedom to sing in the clubs and work on my album and all that because at the time i thought my purpose was to be a singer at that time um and to do all of that but here i was working this job and hadn't sung in a club anywhere and wasn't performing anywhere. And I started to feel trapped. So that was one of the things that was happening. I started to feel trapped in a life that wasn't what I felt wasn't really mine to live. I also had a lot of shame. Um, I carried a lot of shame around my sexuality. Um, I'm attracted to the same gender and I grew up in an environment where that wasn't okay that you were looked at as that was something wrong and um, something to be fixed. And so I still carried a lot of shame and I had a lot of hiding uh, of my sexuality uh, for, you know, the in the public, most people thought I was um, heterosexual. And 
also, I had a lot of shame around my body. I was teased a lot growing up as a kid because uh, I was a bigger, thicker kid. And so I was teased a lot and made to feel like my body as it was, was undesirable, that it didn't belong, um, that it was fat and ugly and that fat was not going to get me love. And so I had a, those, those were the dominant vibrations that I held in my energy system was shame and um, feeling trapped. And also I started to feel like a failure as well because I was, um, again, the socialization we receive in the West is in particular is that when you come into college, you need to succeed right away. You know, there's not a conversation about um, growth and pace and those type of things. There's just making money and success and that conversation. So in my head, especially for the college that I went to, was very much about excellence and um, being better than the rest and being at the top echelon of things. And so in my head, my thought was when you graduate from college, you have to make high six figures immediately. And I wasn't making that, right? Here I am literally three months out of, out of college and thinking I'm not making six figures and really focusing on the elements of where and comparing myself with my peers and with other people and not really paying attention to the elements that were working for me you know, the fact that I did enjoy my job, I had a lot of freedom in my job and all this type of things. But I was I was starting to be saturated with feelings of failure, feelings of feeling trapped, um, not really being the fullness of my authentic self, hiding aspects of myself and then feeling ashamed, not feeling good about my body, not feeling good about my sexuality. And so this was kind of a very toxic soup that um, was not just new, you know, these were things, some of these things I've been feeling for a very long time and they're just in different forms. And so before my near-death experience, you know, I like to tell people I was sick way before I got sick, mm -hmm. um, but I was sick energetically. Um, and it took a while, the energy, you're always sick in the energy first before you get sick in the body. The body is the last kind of appearance of the illness. Um, but I was sick in my energy a long time um, although I was healthy externally, you know, I was, I was fine externally. I was very active, externally. nothing, you know, you couldn't tell anything was wrong with me externally. Um, but until it all kind of, my body just couldn't take that toxic energy soup anymore and broke down and manifested those illnesses and diseases that led me into the hospital. Right. But that was, that was who I was trying, you know, trying my hardest to live a good life. Um, but not knowing the tools or the consciousness that actually creates it and actually doing all the opposite things that actually do that. So that was kind of where I was. I relate so much, so much with so much of what you said. There was that feeling of, I, I too used to say, I want a job I don't have to go to. Thank God I have that now. It only took my whole life to get to a place where I'm like, oh, I'm an actor. I'm a voice actor. Um, these, you know, I can make my own schedule, but I did that of customer service jobs and doing what I thought I had to do. And well, my parents will be disappointed if I do anything else, which wasn't actually true. It was, it was a myth that I created. It was a story. There were, uh, there was eating disorder. There was, um, love addiction. There unavailable people, sobbing over men all the time, smoking, drinking, just all that stuff. 
treating my poor little self so terribly. And my self-esteem was like non-existent. And I let people walk all over me and just Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And those stories we tell ourselves. And um, I love, I mean, I just love when I find other people who've had that spiritual awakening and now we're like, oh, I get it. And you want to say, oh, if I just knew that then I wish I could tell myself then, but then we wouldn't be where we are today had we not gone through that. And the next thing I'll say is this, uh, if, if anyone hasn't read Anita Morjani's Dying to Be Me, it's one of the best near-death experience books out there. And it does really address this topic of how self-loathing, low self-esteem leads to manifests in the body. It's that whole concept of the body keeps the score and the mind-body connection, but also the, it, in the world of what we're talking about, it's the spiritual disease. So enough about me. I just had to interject because I felt like I feel you on all of this. Um, so tell us what happened to lead you, what, what took you to the hospital and then tell us about your near-death experience. Yeah, so um, what led me to the hospital was very auspicious because first to understand, I went into the hospital New Year's Eve. This is something that's very important because New Year's Eve is something I have always cherished. It's probably my favorite holiday um, because it represents to me, um, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day represent transformation and newness and change. So I've always had that. I've always been a big celebrator of New Year's Eve. I always try to do something. I have a, I've always done rituals around it ever since I can remember. So the fact that I went into the hospital New Year's Eve um, is very auspicious for me. And I was starting to feel, uh, I've been sick for about maybe a week or so or a week and a half before this. And I was trying everything I knew, the you know, chicken soup and fasting and vegetables and all of this back then. And nothing was working. And at New Year's Eve, I started to have a lot of pain in my body. And I noticed that my feet were swelling and that I hadn't ever experienced anything like that. So I called my mom, who is a physician, um, but she was back uh, where I grew up. And she was like, well, just go to the emergency room. You know, you've been sick for a while. Maybe they'll just give you, I'm thinking I have the flu because this is what it feels like. So I'm thinking this is the flu. It felt like flu symptoms. It felt like the weakness in the body from the flu, that type of thing. So she's just like, go to the emergency room because she can't call anything out over state. She can't do any type of um, prescribing medication over state. So why don't you go into the emergency room and they can check you out and give you some medicine. You can be home and be ready for work, you know, in the next two or three days. So I go into, I have somebody take me to the emergency room. By this time, I am severely in pain. And I get to the emergency room and I'm telling the, the emergency room doctor, I think I have the flu. And so they say, okay, they look at me and they check me over and um, they run some tests. And it was, it was a, one doctor um, was working with me at the time. And when she came back um, into the emergency room, she had two things that she didn't have when I first saw her. One, there was a team of doctors with her now. There was a team. And then the second thing, she had the telephone in her hand. And this is before um, everybody had cell phones because this was in this was New Year's Eve of 2003. So it was going into the first day of 2004. 
And I didn't have a cell phone at that time. Some people had a cell phone, but I didn't have a cell phone. I was one of the people that was not, didn't have one. So um, she said, you have a phone call. And it was, that person had called the hospital phone. So I was like, okay. And I took the phone and it was my mother and she was crying. And she said, hold on, I'll be there in the morning. And she hung up and I immediately knew then that this wasn't the flu. And after I handed the phone back to the, the doctor, they, the team of doctors surrounded my bed and they said, son, um, you don't have the flu. You have anemia, pancreatitis, a fluid packed lung, uh, a parasite in your stomach, kidney failure, and if all that isn't delicious enough, oh, pneumonia, if I didn't say that already. And if all that is not delicious enough, um, they also diagnosed me with AIDS. And they said, we think you have, from what we can see and from how things have progressed, we think you have about seven days to live. And we want you to, to we're gonna try and help you as best as we can, but we really want you to try and get your affairs in order. And they left the room. And when they left the room, I kind of had a life review uh, while I was sitting there and my whole life flashed before my eyes and I was able to see everything, how I had lived my life, what I had done, what I hadn't done, the choices I had made, the choices I didn't make for myself. And there were some questions that popped up um, during that life review. And there were just, just a few of them, but they were very poignant. They were like, was I happy with the way I had lived my life? Was I, um, had I ever really truly been myself in my life? Did the people in my life know how I truly felt them? Had I really shared my heart with the people that I cared about? Did I feel like I had done what my soul came here to do on this planet? And in this, on this planet, in this lifetime, did I feel like I had done that? And, um, did I, was I, did I, did, did I really allow myself to fulfill my dreams? And as I was going through those questions and reviewing and looking at my life, I began to feel a very deep sense of regret and, um, and, and fear. There was regret and fear and the fear wasn't of dying. So I know a lot of people are afraid of dying, but I had been on a spiritual journey uh, for a few years by that time. I had studied um, many things and um, really knew, like really believed at the core of my being that I was a soul and that that death wasn't an end for me. So I wasn't scared of death. Um, and I also, you know, really believed that um, not just it wasn't an end, but there was something else that I was going to continue and there was going to be love for me on the other side of this. So I wasn't afraid of death, but what I was really afraid of was this awareness that I had gotten as I was going through these questions and understanding that every answer to those questions was no, that I wasn't happy, um, I had not been happy, I had never really truly been myself, um, I hadn't shared my heart, I didn't feel like I was living my purpose, and I wasn't fulfilling my dreams. And I had this big awareness that I was getting ready to die, not having ever really lived, not having ever really been me. You know, here I am, I'm 20, I think I'm either 23 or 24 at this time. 
and yes, I was young, but this is there. It, it was the this sense that I was getting ready to die, having wasted the chance I had to be Jerome. And I didn't want to die like that. And so I made a decision then that I was going to live, that when I died, I wanted to be able to say, hell yes to every one of those questions. I really wanted that. That was a huge desire for me. And so <clears throat> I was already, again, I was a student on the spiritual path for a while, and I was studying the law of attraction. And at that time, and believed that we could manifest what we wanted and we were we were soul beings who had that power but i've been using that awareness before to like you know get a parking space in front of the mall when i was running late to the movies or um get five dollars to when i needed something to eat or something like that and so i i said you know if this is if this is really going to be true like i believe that this is then i'm going to have to be able to manifest a miracle and it's going to have to happen in the seven days so I threw everything I knew about manifestation and creation and healing. I did the um, appreciation journal, the affirmations, the meditations. I ate vegan as well as I could in the hospital. <laughs> I ate vegan and I did a positive energy bubble around me. Like if you came within six feet of me, you could only say something positive to me. So if the doctors had something that they wanted to say that was, you know, wasn't really good news, they couldn't stand within six feet and say it. Um, I did all of these things. I threw everything I knew. And I was in the hospital for a month. They had put me on dialysis. Um, and every week as I, as I was going past their projection of when I was going to live, they kept saying, well, it's just, you may do this, but it's going to be another week or you do this or but you're going to be on dialysis for the rest of your life or something like that and i was able to leave the hospital after a month and two months after i got home i was fully recovered and i was being called this miracle child i was taken off of dialysis my kidneys were fully functioning again um, they couldn't find hiv or aids in my system and all the other illnesses had healed and were and my body was well and i felt like i had it all figured out I felt like, hey, like this stuff is real. This stuff is true. And I know what it takes to create well-being. And I continued to feel like that <laughs> for a year and a half until I found myself back in that same hospital a year and a half later with the exact same diagnosis to the T-cell count. And instead of seven days to live this time, I had 48 hours. And when the doctors left me to get my affairs in order this time, 40, I had 48 hours, they're gonna to try to do this emergency surgery to try and give me some extra hours. So they were prepping, going to prep the surgery room. And as they left, um, I didn't have a life review this time. Instead, I had a question. And because I knew that if I was back in this exact same place, with this exact same diagnosis, which was very rare for someone to have all of that going on at the same time, that if I had gotten it just like that again, down to the T-cell count, that this wasn't a coincidence, this was a message, that my soul was trying to communicate to me through the health of my body, something that I had apparently been trying very hard not to listen to in my, in my regular life. And so my question that came up was, what is the message? 
what what I'm here, I'm surrendered, I'm I'm done. Like I'm <laughs> I'm there's nowhere else for me to go. Speak to me and let me know what it is you really want me to know. And then I also added this. I as you whatever this is, also whatever your message is for me, please also tell me what the real key is to healing. Because I thought I knew, but apparently I don't, because I'm back here. And I don't just want to heal. I want a really delicious life. I want to be well, and I want a really, I want to be happy and healthy, truly. And tell me what that is. I need, I want to know the key to that. And as soon as I got through saying those words, I began to have um, what most people will call a near-death experience. Now, I well, I say it's a near-death experience, but I want to preface this by saying two things because there was no one else in the room with me. So there's not anyone that can actually verify that I actually died. Um, and this was just all my own experience of what I was feeling. But I began to feel, the first thing I began to feel was a loss of um, de delineation between where my body began and stopped. It felt like everything in the room was a part of me, like the, the even the IV drip in the wall and the bed. It was like all of it was part of. I was I was one with all of it. And then I began to see a light, a very 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 bright light. And then this is something a little hard for me to explain. I've been explaining this for years. It's still very hard for me to explain because it was a, the duality of a very bright light and the darkest dark I've ever seen at the same time. It was like this light and this dark happened. And I felt this sense of letting go and then this feeling of complete well-being, like all is well, and that I was totally loved and that everything is okay. And, and when I began to feel that, I heard this voice and I don't want to say heard audibly. It was kind of like felt this voice. It was more like something that reverberated inside of me instead of something that was outside of me coming into me. It was something that was like everywhere. It was in my cells. It was outside. It was everywhere. And I recognized this voice. I could recognize it because it sounded like me, but it sounded like a me that wasn't neurotic and a me that wasn't scared and ashamed it sounded like it sounded like the most divine me that i'd never met before but i knew intrinsically it was me and at the same time i also knew that this was source that this was what at that time what i called god that this was it and the voice said to me there were two main things it said in this conversation. We had a conversation and there was two main things it said to me. The first was that the key that I'm asking for to healing and to true health and happiness is to love myself wholly, to come back home to my soul through the path of self-love. And it said, I didn't know shit about that yet. And it did say shit. It said, I didn't know shit about that yet but that I was going to learn, but that this is the key. And then the other thing it said to me was that I had learned a lot in my life about how to push 
and force and struggle and make and, and try and make life be good to me. But I didn't know anything about how to let life be good to me. And that was what life was designed to do. It was designed to be very good to me, but I had to let it. And again, I didn't know anything about that, but I was gonna learn. And after this conversation, there are a few more things said, but these were the main things. And after this conversation about that my healing journey was going to be through the path of self-love and that one of the big things that my life was going to be about was understanding how to let life be good to me and make the shift from trying to make it be good to me. Um, I began to go back into my body and I could feel where, you know, the, 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 the light of the room was no longer this, dark, this light is light and dark is dark. It was the dull light of the hospital. And I could feel my hands laying on the hospital bed and feel where my hand was and where the sheets were. Um, and I knew that I had just had the big wake up call moment, right? I had had this big, uh, where like I had just gone to the other side and had a conversation with Source and I had been given the key to my healing. And it was like the matrix, like, am I gonna take the red or blue pill? Am I going to take this journey of self-love or am I gonna keep doing what I'm doing? And I knew that if I kept doing what I was doing, I was gonna die. I knew that that was the, the path to death and I was going to die soon and I didn't want that. But I also knew there was kind of, maybe this was the last bit of kind of that was downloaded into me because this came when I came back in my body, there was a, a knowing that was kind of downloaded into my body that if I chose the path of self-love that I was going to become different and almost like I was going to die. So my body was getting ready to die and I didn't want that to happen, but there was still a death that was being asked of me and that the person that I was was gonna to have to die so that this person, the well version of me could live. And I was horrified of that because I didn't know, all I knew was who this was. And I could feel that this person that I was gonna become was very different. And I didn't know anything about that. And I also had this knowing that my journey, what I was gonna learn in my journey was going to also require me to teach it that I was going to have to teach what I learned to others. This was going to become part of my, um, my mission here in this lifetime was I was going to teach what I learned about healing through self-love. And again, I was also scared of that because at this time, I thought my purpose was to be a Grammy award-winning singer. So what does that mean? And what does that look like? And yeah, I did want to teach spirituality and do that, but this meant my whole, it felt like this was my life. And so there was this moment where I was sitting there in the bed, having to make this decision between dying for real and my identity dying. And I chose that I would take the path of my identity dying. And I made a decision, I made a commitment that I was going to travel the path of self-love fully, that I didn't want to just tra travel it fast because fast got me in the hospital, apparently. Um, I wanted to know that I know that I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew. And I wanted to know everything about it and I wanted to be fully transformed by it. And I was committed to whatever that took. 
Didn't know that that journey was going to be many years. <laughs> I didn't know that that was going to require a lot of transformation and a lot of the foundations of my very reality being pulled from up under me when I said that. Um, but it that embarked this very mystical, transformative and healing journey for me, a multi-year journey where my whole life changed and my whole life healed. Um, and it was very much a masterclass in self-love, what it is, what it isn't, how to do it, how not to do it. And disease, AIDS and kidney failure became my master teachers. Um, and what I learned, again, trans healed my life and then transformed it into something more delicious than I could ever imagine and into something that not only feels like heaven to me, but lets me know without a shadow of a doubt that this dimension, this world is heaven too. Um, but most of us have just forgotten the keys to unlocking the door to it. That is so profound. And I've heard that several times this week. You talk a lot about manifestation. That is my life right now. And today was one of those days where it's a new moon. Is today the new moon? I think so. I think so. I think so. And I just realized all of these things that I've been manifesting started to show themselves today. And I went, I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm getting chills right now. And then I kept hearing that same message that you just said again. And I mm. think that's, that's really beautiful because that heaven isn't outside of us. It's within us. We are part of it. There's the veil there. So we don't often, we don't, we don't even know. We don't even know that we know that we're part of it. And it's not a separate place. It's, it's a state of consciousness, however you want to put it. And I love that you, that you shared that and how often we live in this, uh, this um, existence where we feel shame and we lack self-love and we hurt ourselves and others, not typically not maliciously because we just don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And so I'm sure that, as you said, this was such a long process of discovery, so it's hard to sum up, but from the time you were released from the hospital and they said, okay, you're, you're good to go back, did you know what your first steps were? Where do I need, where do you start? Or were you just kind of focused on, now I have to keep paying my bills and doing those things, and it naturally evolved from that place as you started to see things differently? So the second time, um, and I love this question. Thank you for it, actually, because um, it's going to allow some clarity. So yeah. a lot of people who have near-death experiences, a lot of times their situations, their health challenges will be fully um, healed during the experience. So when they come out of the experience, their body will heal you know, within hours or within days. That wasn't the case for me. So... Um, and I, I now know because of who, who my soul is and what my journey is, I wouldn't have wanted it to be that way. I would have wanted to figure it out on kind of my, my own journey with it. Um, and so what happened when I came out of my experience, which is why I was told the, what the path was, but I wasn't given all the tools and everything. I was just told this is what, what, what has to happen and then you have to walk this path. And so when I came out, I was still on, you know, I had to go into the surgery 
And um, I was placed on dialysis. And when I came out, I was on dialysis this the second time. And then my life was about, I am on dialysis right now. And so how does this change my life? And the thinking from in the beginning was how do I heal myself? And I was thinking of it for many years, I approached my healing from, from the physical aspects. Um, and there were many different, I like to call my, my healing journey almost like I was getting a master's degree. So there were semesters. So in the first semester, I thought healing was about the physical. Like, what do I need to eat? What do I need to, you know, how do I, what type of, you know, modalities do I need to do? How do I need to change my diet? What type of herbs do I need to take? And while those things are actually very helpful, they really do not address the root cause of, of what disease is. And what disease, what the root cause of disease is you have drained your body of the fuel that the body runs off of. And what we're not taught is what the body actually runs off of. We're taught that the body runs off of broccoli and green juice and clean meat and things like that. And while those things are, um, they are helpful and they are nutritious, they only address as some aspect of the physical body. But as a soul, you have two bodies. You have this biological body that you see and then you have a non-physical body that is energy and you do not see that. And that body is your, the biggest aspect of you. Like the physical body is less than 5% of your being. I like to say almost like an iceberg. Like if you look at the tip of the iceberg, what you see above the surface, what you can see is the smallest part. It's usually like 5% of the iceberg and 95% of the iceberg is under the water. This is the same thing. You're seeing 5% of Jerome, probably actually less than that. 95% of me is my energy body. And that is actually more determined. That's that part of you determines your health, determines the health of this body more than anything else, more than what you eat, more than the sleep you get, more than any of that. And so that what usually happens when we get sick is we have starved our energy body. It has become malnourished. And our energy body is made of love. It is made of the energy of love. It is our soul body. And the soul is literally the essence of love. Now, when I say love, I'm not talking about because we really, um, the, the word love and the, and, and the reality of love has gotten very, um, the waters have gotten very dirty through a lot of the, of, of the, what we associate with it. And so what we really, what we now think about when we, when someone says love, we think about affection. We think about affection, we think about care. And while those are facets of love, the soul's energy of love is a multifaceted energy, meaning it has several aspects that make it up. Almost like if you see my hand here, my hand is a multifaceted limb. So there's five fingers that make up the hand and then you have the palm here right so there's many parts to it love is the same thing so what i learned in my journey was um, there are five main vibrations that make up the the core essence of love and those are worthiness freedom joy peace um worthiness freedom joy peace i always do this in my head worthiness freedom joy peace i forget freedom and um, 
this is those make up the elements of love and this is kind of what you feel what a lot of people will say when they feel on the other side why love is so expansive right and it feels like this feels like so many things and it feels like more than more than we've been taught this is kind of what i've learned for myself is it's kind of these five main vibrations and those have to be fed we have to live lives that nourish those feelings within us that allow us to embody those vibrations frequently, right? And consistently. So if I'm not feeling free, when I say energy of vibration, you can just think of it as an emotional feeling. That's kind of a way to, to, to think about it more in terms that we may understand it. So do I live a life that, make, that allows me to feel free on the, day, on the daily? What's my relationship with feeling worthy? What's my, and how much do I feed? So when I mean feed it, your soul is up here to expand. It's not here to stay the same. It's here to expand. Just like your physical body grows and gets stronger and strengthens, your, your energy body is supposed to grow and strengthen as well. So you're supposed to expand in your feeling of being free. You're supposed to expand in your feeling of feeling worthy. You're supposed to expand in your feeling of joy and happiness. You're supposed to expand in your feeling of peace, right? And so what happens is we're living these lives instead. It's a lot of lifestyles and belief systems that we hold that instead of expanding these feelings, we deplete them and diminish them and shrink them. So we begin to feel less free. We have more fear and we feel less free. We have, instead of feeling worthy, we have more shame. And that begins to shrink the worthiness down. And so you're shrinking your, your body down and you're starving it because it needs to eat these feelings. These are, this is what soul food is really. These energies are soul food. And so when we're not feeding ourselves these energies, just like we would feed ourselves food every day, when we're not, if, feeling these feelings every day, it begins to starve our body and not, and our body becomes malnourished and anything that's malnourished cannot be well. Nothing that is malnourished can be healthy. And this is what I learned from my own self. This is how I learned that I manifested the disease. Now, this is something that, again, I wanna make very clear because when people come into kind of metaphysics or they come into, um, consciousness studies or something, and you may hear this about you manifesting illness, we, a part we take is fault. And so that's why people either reject that understanding or they start to beat themselves up and feel even more shame about this. And here's the thing, nobody would ever intentionally make themselves sick. So this is not something that you did intentionally. This is not something I did intentionally. I definitely wasn't like, please, I would love to experience kidney failure and AIDS. That was not something I wanted to do. Um, but what happens is I, my body, this is just the way my body works. This is the biology of my energy body. It has to be fed love. And when it is starved love, it cannot be well. Now, this is why I say, like, I'm very careful when I, when I speak to people about this, because we're not taught this in school. We're not taught this in our religious systems anywhere, really, usually. We're not taught this. And so it's very unloving of us to expect ourselves to know something we never were taught. But just like if you were never taught 
that you had, you know, a spleen. It doesn't mean that you don't have a spleen. It doesn't mean that the spleen is not operating within you how it's supposed to operate. It just knows you don't know about it and you may not know how to take care of it. This is the same thing with our energy. So we manifest illness and we manifest diseases, especially, especially chronic diseases, when our energy body is starved, when it is malnourished, when, and, it, and again, how do we malnourish when we're not really loving ourselves? That's what loving ourselves actually is, by the way. Loving Self-love is another thing that has gotten really dirty with the water because we start thinking it means getting a massage or buying that cute shirt at the mall. Um, and a lot of times we do those things when we don't love ourselves. But yeah. self-love is actually about embodying the soul that I am, expressing the soul that I am, and feeding the soul that I am, nourishing that. That's what love is. So that you can all you can you can almost call it self-soul, because the soul is is love energy. And so loving myself is making sure that I'm embodying the energy of my soul, that I am expressing the true energy of who I am, who this unique soul is on this planet at this time. And that I am living a life and doing things that feed the soul that I am instead of starving it. And most of us are starving our soul. Most of us are, instead of expressing the fullness of the soul that we are, we're, supp we're suppressing parts of it, we're rejecting parts of it, we're hiding parts of it. Um, and so we're not embodying our soul. And so we're not going around loving ourselves at all. That's really what it is. Loving ourselves is getting the soul into the body, expressing this soul out into the world and feeding that soul. And uh, we're just not really taught how to do that. We're really not taught this um, from this aspect. And, and we're taught it, again, so I say it's not always self-care because a lot of times you're going to get that massage because you're stressing yourself the hell out. And yeah. you're working a job that you don't love. And you're in a relationship that is very unfulfilling for you. And you're not really being who you really are in your, in your life. And so that massage is not really love. It's more like surgery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you're trying to hold yourself together um, after harming yourself. And so this is what kind of, again, what I, what I had to learn in my journey um, and that this is what led to the manifestation of my illness is that I had really almost like a car, you know, a car runs on fuel. It has fuel. It has to run on fuel, no matter how much you, you know, how beautiful your car is, no matter how expensive it is, when you run low on that fuel, that car cannot run. And if you try to keep running, you're going to break it down. This is the same thing. And beautiful thing about cars is when the fuel is running low, um, when it runs low on what it needs to fuel itself to run at its best, it sends you a signal. It sends you a little, it's a little signal light that says low on gas, right? Or yeah. whatever, low on electric, low on electricity or whatever your car runs on. This is what illness is. It is an indicator. It is your body's way of sending you a signal to say, you are low on love and you need to stop and stop what you're doing to where you're, you're draining love out of your body and fuel yourself up with love. And however it is, maybe, you, maybe it's just one of the vibrations that you've been, maybe it's just worthiness or maybe it's freedom or maybe it's joy or maybe it's peace. I was low on all of them. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why I was so sick and I was headed out of here. Um, but that's what that's what um, that's what disease is about, and that's why I say we manifest our illnesses. It's not because you're saying I want this and this right. is what I prefer, but it's because you've just not been giving your body the energy that it needs to run at its best. Um, And that's the key to healing. It's just to fuel yourself with love. Um, And that's what I teach. And that's what, you know, I'm out here in the world. And that's what I had to learn. And I'm still learning how to do in some areas of my life. Um, But this is what we're here to do. We're here to live love-fueled lives as souls. We're here to live lives that fuel us with love energy at every turn. And that allow us to express the love energy that we are. Um, But before you can do that, part of that is looking at where you're not, like mm-hmm. where you are not fueling yourself and where you are not being the love that you are um, and where you're not embodying, you know, the unique divine aspect that is here to be, to be you in this one chance that it gets to be you. Yeah, I, I love everything you said. I was hanging on every word just because I've seen that in my own life as someone who was in therapy at age two and three with severe anxiety disorder and not loving myself and being a kid with a birthmark on her face. And people were saying, you're ugly, you're ugly. And I heard that in my head and replayed it. And just, it just, the story goes on and on, but I am someone that developed a lot of nothing life-threatening, but a lot of adrenal fatigue, uh, chronic migraines, which I still struggle with. Um, SIBO, just all kinds of these prolonged, um, these prolonged illnesses where I was going to doctor after doctor after doctor trying to find out what was wrong. And now I do understand the link. And it's difficult because I had been at a party one night and I said, well, I'm going to go home now. And this guy said, come on, why don't you just stay and have a drink? I said, I don't drink. Why not? You're you just need to loosen up. I said, no, I have, I have chronic migraines. I need to go to sleep at a certain time. I cannot drink alcohol as if I needed to explain myself, but um, that was the people pleasing thing. And he said, you know, you're creating your own migraines, right? I wanted to knock that guy's head off of his shoulders. I was just thinking about him yesterday. And I thought, now I know what he was saying. The problem is you have, you can't just dump that on somebody without, you know, without a full understanding in the context, I understand now what he meant. You know, my reaction was my father gets migraines. My cousin gets migraines. My sister gets migraines. It's a neurological disorder. It is not something I'm creating. And I was furious about it, but I do see how that doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, I'm creating them as much as you create your reality. Uh, Your reality is a projection even the other people in your lives, my father, my sister, my, my family members that have migraines, that's all a projection of a, in my belief, you know, of, yeah. a, of a, a spiritual condition. Um, and what we're here, uh, just sort of what we're, it's part of our, our life challenge that helps us to grow, that helps us to continue to evolve our souls towards more love. And I yeah, would love- It's just here to help you come back home. that's what you say that's all it is yeah it's it's an invitation to come back home to love now I want to say this because I want to stop here yeah I never believe 
and just <laughs> so no matter what's happening no matter whether we're experiencing illness or a breakup or a financial disaster or whatever it is we always deserve more love not less and i think when we tell someone in the moment of their pain mm-hmm. well you know you're just creating that right that is not love mm-hmm. because because that's not what you most need right now. An aspect of love is acceptance. And so what most people need in their pain when they're in the midst of high pain, and this is for myself, this is something for even just when I'm, when I'm in the midst of high pain, the thing for me to do is not to say, well, Jerome, how are you creating this? The thing for me to do is to accept my pain and to just allow myself to soothe it. And then when it's soothed, we can look at, okay, what's going on? Right. But the first thing for me to do is to love myself and loving myself doesn't involve punishment. Mm -hmm. It doesn't involve, um, I'll even say trying to correct because what, what that actually has, um, what the, what the energy has when you tell someone that in the midst of their pain is you're wrong and you need to get right. Yeah. And hearing that's an element of shame. And so that's not love either. All right. Well, Zoom did drop our call just in the middle of some real heavy brilliance coming from Jerome. But uh, we were discussing the theory of uh, how disease manifests as a result of a spiritual condition and how it can be tough to introduce that concept to people. And there's a time and a place to introduce it to people. Um, And we talked about how uh, it's not love. It, it wasn't helpful for someone to say to me, you know, you create your own migraines, right? That, that wasn't helpful at that moment. Um, but kind of just take it from wherever, uh, riff on that a little bit, if you will. Yeah. It's, um, it's never loving to try and fault someone. Um, and this is something that even in your, in your own healing journey, in my healing journey, when I say that, um, I understand that I manifested the diseases that I had. Um, I am not saying that I created them from preference. Yeah. And it's very unloving for us to, uh, to expect ourselves to know how to do something we weren't taught how to do. Mm-hmm. So one of the things about that is um, I wasn't taught that my body needed to be fueled, fed love like it needs to be fed vegetables and fruit. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't taught and I wasn't taught that um, I wasn't taught how to feed my body love and what love is. And so when someone is going through an illness, my first conversation with them is not, you know, you created that, right? My conversation is what do they need to do? What do they need right now to feel better? That's my first conversation with them. And then when they feel better, then I can ask them, you know, then we can have a conversation when they're open to it. And I can ask if they're open, if they're not open, then we don't have the conversation. But if they are right. open, then we can have this conversation about looking at um, the different ways that our bodies will send us signals because our bodies aren't punishing us and they aren't enemies of us when they are, when they are ill. They are trying to get our attention to come back home to come back home to ourselves from how we've left ourselves. And they are sending us a message that we can decipher when we learn how to decipher it, 
about how we've left home and how we've been and we've been gone from home for so long. And that's really all it is. Like I've just been gone from home and let me go home for a minute. And the way to really, you know, I learned from that, how to do that for myself was look at how does, how does this disease or how does this illness make me emotionally feel? Mm-hmm. So for me, HIV made me feel ugly and it made me feel unwanted, unlovable. Um, and these were things that I had been feeling for a very long time since I was a kid who was teased for being, you know, fat, I felt unlovable and unwanted. Um, It made me feel like there was something wrong with my body. Well, I have been feeling that since I was five years old. Right. And so I had been starving myself of worthiness and feeling enough and feeling lovable um, from those feelings, I've been made to f- believe that I was unlovable and there was something wrong with me, which starved me of the worthiness that my soul needed to eat. Right. Mm-hmm. And kidney failure made me feel like a failure. And it made me feel um, in bondage. It made me feel the dialysis, and I'd be on dialysis, and it was taking up a lot of my days and a lot of my time, and I was tired. It made me feel in bondage, it made me feel drained. Those were kind of the big things. I felt drained, I felt in bondage, and I felt like a failure. Well, I was feeling like a failure all that year in a very intense way. Again, I was feeling like I wasn't making all that, I wasn't making enough money. I'd failed my parents. I had failed, you know, I felt my dreams very irrationally, but you you, you know what you're you can't ever tell your feelings that they're irrational by that. Because here I was literally three months out, and I felt. And I had been feeling that way for a long time as well. And also I felt in bondage and what that really came from, I didn't feel free. And from a person who was hiding several aspects of himself, not just his sexuality, but my spiritual gifts as well. I grew up in a very Christian home Mm -hmm. and in a very Christian environment. And I knew that I could read energy and sense energy um, very early on. And, but I also knew that wasn't something that was going to be accepted. Yeah. And then later when I began to see people's loved ones on the other side and communicate with them, that was definitely not going to be accepted. So right. those were things that I hid and, but hiding never makes us feel free. And so I felt in bondage for most of my life. And so my, the disease was an outer reflection of these energies that were starving me of love. It was the outer reflection of the energies that I was holding for a while that were starving me of love. Remember I said at the beginning, the illnesses don't, the disease doesn't come right away. It's a, yeah. it's a manifestation. It's in the energy long before it comes out into the body. And these were energies I had been holding that were withholding me from love, the very fuel I needed to, to experience well-being. And so when I can get aware of that, then I, then I know what I need to do. Mm-hmm. My healing journey becomes clear. Oh, I feel like a failure. Let me, let me feel successful. Let me focus on feeling successful. Um, I feel unlovable and unwanted. Let me feel wanted and lovable. I feel in bondage. Let me feel free. I feel drained let me feel charged and nourished instead and so that becomes my my healing journey became how do we feel these feelings daily instead of the other ones yeah and that was my question my next question is 
how do you help your clients get there? What type of modalities, what type of approach do you take in order to help them when they come to you and say, here's how I'm feeling, this is where I'm stuck, and that sort of thing. So the, 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 the simple thing, the simplest thing that is in all situations, whether you're coming to me to be worked with me because you have an illness or disease or because there's something going on in your relationship that doesn't feel fulfilling or you feel disconnected from your life or your life doesn't taste delicious to you some way, uh, whatever you come to me for, the, the, the solution is always to enhance the love. That is always the solution. And if you come specifically for an illness, the first thing that I'm going to say is, is let's look at one, taking all this stuff, that all the weight, extra weight you have on. Because what I've always found, I don't care what the illness is, is people are taking too much on. Yeah. They're stressed, right? And stress will bleed the love energy out of you very fast. So wherever the stress is, we got to look at, we take a look at where it is and how do you let it go completely? The other is how do you feel supported? Because being supported is love, is feeling loved. And sometimes you may have to pay for the support. Like mm -hmm. I have, I pay somebody to make my meals for me. I pay somebody to clean my house for me. I pay somebody to do your, my yard work for me because those are things that I could not, I could do. Actually, I had the capacity to do, but that drained me to no end. So I don't need to add more drain to my body. I need to add more relaxation and rest and nourishment. So that means I need support. So I help people look at how can they be supported and what type of support do they not just need, but do they want? And so we look at how do you feel supported because support, receiving support is receiving love. Yeah. So you, you, deserve, you, you receiving love is how you heal. Then we take a look at when we get those foundations, we look at um, what, is, what, what, is the, what is the energetic root cause like what is the energetic root cause that is causing um, the reflection of illness to happen for you? And then what are the shifts? Like what's the energy that you need to embody that will help you? Just like I just did where I just ran through, okay, so here's the energies that made me ill. Here's the energies that will make me well. How do we begin to create a um, life plan, a lifestyle that feeds you these energies? Right. So not just it's not just actions you're taking, but it's also beliefs that you hold. How do we change the beliefs so that because your thoughts influence your feelings more than anything else, but also your environment that you're in, what type of relationships, what type of work are you doing? Does it make you feel worthy or does it make you feel worthless? Yeah. Does it make you feel nourished or does it make you feel drained and depleted? We look at your environment and is your environment conducive for this? And how do you create an environment that feeds you these energies as well? Mm -hmm. Then what are the behaviors you need to behave? Like how, do, how does the well version of you behave? The version of Jerome that feels enough and that feels lovable and that feels free and that feels nourished and that feels like a success. How does he behave? And that's different than the, how the Jerome that felt like a failure and felt suppressed and felt in bondage. There were different behaviors and there was a different way he moved through the world. So I helped my clients really get clear on how the well version of them moves through the world and, the, and let that guide how they need to show up in their days, right? So for me, 
when I feel enough, then I know I don't need to take on too much. I know that I need to have rest in my days. And I know that it's safe for me to say no to some projects because when I know that I'm enough and I behave and feel from this feeling of being enough, I know that the universe loves me. And so if this opportunity is really for me, it will come again at a time that can fit into my energy of rest and relaxation instead of causing me to be in stress and overwhelm. Yes, I love that. And I, I really appreciate how you, you speak about not trying, but just being open to receiving. And that's something that just is so relevant to me right now as I've just been delving into this whole world of manifestation and everyday writing that I am statements and meditating and raising my vibration and listening to motivational, inspirational stuff. And not, I do not watch the news at all. I do not, I just don't. And I know, you know, people are like, what, how do you not know what's going on? Do you know what right now that is not my priority. And it's all about raising that vibration, but also changing my thoughts um, from, and now it, so that it comes more naturally and carrying myself in the world as if I already have everything that I want and need. But I also think that you made such an important point that it is about being open. It's like that Yoda quote about there is no try. It's, it's different. It has a different context, but it's, it's really about just being willing to receive the universe wants to give you everything. Here's the thing when you, why self-love is so important is because when you really connect to the truth of your being, you understand that you're already fully loved and that life loves you at every turn, just as you are. There's nothing more for you to prove. There's not another vision board for you to make. Mm -hmm. There is not um, any more workshops you have to take or retreats you have to attend. You're already loved. And the only thing that you have to do is receive. Mm -hmm. And the receiving is not so much about what you're what you do but the energy that you carry are you and the energy the energy of receiving is love so if i am loving myself i will receive i don't need to do anything else this is the big thing when i feel worthy and i move through my life from a feeling of worthiness. When I feel free and I allow myself to move through my life from my feeling of freedom, and I do things that nourish my worthiness and my freedom, and I do things that nourish my joy, like I'm, I'm, I'm doing my passions, I'm doing what fulfills me, I'm having fun, I'm laughing. Things just show up. Yep. The things that I have been trying and working hard for before and doing all that, when I just do the work of loving myself, all of that already comes. Because here's the thing, the universe only ever sends our good to our home address. 
no matter what type of vision board you make, no matter what affirmations you say, no matter what workshops you go to or sage you burn or white candles you light or green juice you drink or um, high vibrational amulets you wear, your good is only ever going to be sent to your home address and you cannot get it until you come home. It is at the front door of home. And home, the only thing that brings you back home is to love yourself. That all is the so other beautiful. things are nice. I'm not saying don't drink your green juice. Yeah. I have green juice in my refrigerator right now. Yep. I'm not saying don't like the white candles. I love white candles. I'm not saying don't wear the amulet. I love vibration jewelry. I'm not saying it, but I'm saying the thing that actually works, that brings you back home and keeps you home is the work of self-love, is the work of returning to feeling worthy, is the work of trusting life and trusting in, in your own internal guidance. It's the work of following your joy and prioritizing yourself and putting yourself first and being your own best friend. And then you carry the energy of being at home. And then you can put all those manifestation tools down because yeah. you don't need them because life benefits. One of the things that, again, I'm not poo-pooing on manifestation tools because I used to teach them. I used to yeah. use them sometimes myself, but there is an energy behind it, a consciousness behind it that a lot of times we're not aware of. And the consciousness is I have to make life mm-hmm. give this to me. Yeah. And the shift that I really want us to return to is the knowing of the soul. And what I had to be reminded of in my near death experience is that life does not, life is not withholding anything from you because it loves you. That's beautiful. I just have one more question. How do your intuitive abilities lend themselves to the work that you do? Yeah. Um, beautiful question again. Um, So I have several intuitive abilities and they are mediumship, uh, channeling, and claircognizance and clairsentience are my, those are my strongest ones. I have some of the other ones like clairvoyance and clairaudience, but claircognizance and clairsentience are the strongest of the clairs that I have. And then mediumship and channeling. So when I am working with somebody um, and medical intuition, um, I also have medical intuition. So when I am working with someone um, in a session with someone, if they come to me and they are dealing with the health challenge, um, their bodies speak to me. They speak. And so the illness will literally speak and I will, I will feel it. So it's not like a, like I audibly hear it. It's more like it's the, it, I feel the words of it in the body and it will tell me, this is where this illness is coming from. This is the energy right? These are the belief systems and the energy that, that we are reflection of. And here's the shift, right? And so I'll know, oh, okay, so here's where we need to be working on. Here's the path of self-love you really need to take um, to get yourself back into wellness. If a person, same thing, if a person is not coming with a health challenge, but they're coming with a life challenge, the same thing. Um, the I am able to, um, through my clear, ener- clear abilities, I'm able to read the energy of, of what's happening with them and see, oh, 
here's the belief systems and here's the vibration vibrational patterns that you're holding that are keeping you stuck here or that are continually manifesting this and here's the shift that you need in your consciousness and in your vibration and in your lifestyle to manifest what you really want the mediumship shows up because sometimes in the session um, someone's loved one will come through and they'll have something to say to help them either with their healing or with the shift or manifestation or transformation that they're wanting. They will come through and add additional guidance. Um, a lot of times they'll say, hey, um, you know, our family used to do this, but you're not here to do this anymore and you have permission to no longer do that. And that may be the thing that they were finally waiting to hear because a lot of times a lot of our stuff is really because we made these subconscious contracts with family members to continue operating in ways that don't serve us. Right. So um, a lot of times that family member will come through and say, you have permission to end that. And that may be the very right. thing that they need to hear. So yeah. mediumship comes through with that. I used to do mediumship readings um, before I started doing this type of work. I did. I you connected did. people with their loved ones for years. Um, and that was actually very healing for me because they, I learned a lot about what the soul finds important about life and what, what it really thinks life is really about. Um, but that will happen. And then sometimes, um, especially when I'm teaching, if I'm teaching or if I'm speaking, um, I am a channel. I work with uh, guides called the Beloveds. And sometimes they will just come through and have mm -hmm. some things to say they're a higher consciousness. So they're a part of my soul is how they, they, they describe themselves to me. They are a part of my soul and our souls are part of everyone's souls. We're all connected. We are all part of source, but they are a part of the all that is that um, is very excited about working with me in this lifetime. And sometimes they will channel through me and offer guidance from sources perspective on things uh, in sessions with clients, especially when I teach. A lot of times, if you've ever attended one of my classes, um, I'll go on like this five minute in-depth thing. And at the end of it, I'll be like, I have no idea what I just said. I hope yeah. it helped you. <laughs> yeah. It just <laughs> but, came pouring um, out. Yeah, it just, it just, yeah. just, it just comes through. Um, but that's kind of how my intuitive abilities, how, how um, I use them in my work. I use them to help read people's energy, to help them heal or transform or manifest what they really want. And really, I help them. I, I, it, it shows me where you've left home and what you need to do to come back home. What a wonderful, rewarding thing to do. I think it's such a gift. And I'm so grateful to be coming into my own gifts. Um, we were just talking about, you know, as, as we were discussing, sometimes you're thrown off the path that you think you're meant to be on and it does require a change. And I, uh, a couple of years ago, I ended up with, uh, SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which led to reflux, which led to me losing my voice, developing muscle tension, dysphonia, and I lost my voice. I was, I couldn't do voiceover anymore. And like you, you want, you were like, I'm going to be a Grammy, uh, Grammy award winning singer, vocalist. I was like, this is my thing. I was working 10 hours a day and I'm very good at it. I'm a good actor, but that was consuming my entire life. It was all about the money, all about like, okay. Cause I had struggled financially and suddenly all this money was pouring in and I never said no to a job. And I was a workaholic and I was in this booth 
recording and recording. And then I lost my voice and I just prayed and said, why is this happening to me? How could this be the thing? Why is it my voice? And I went to a few mediums and they all said, because you're meant to do what I do. And I said, but dead people aren't talking to me. I don't know what this is. They're like, they are, you know, you just have to learn to, to understand what they're telling you. And it was the hardest one of one of two of the most difficult points in my life. So much that I was devastated. I lost everything financially, got into just thousands of dollars of debt, trying to cure, trying to fix, mm-hmm. not getting to the root of, you know, just vocal coaches and hypnotherapy and acupuncture and yoga and meditation and all the things. And I spent probably $10,000 trying to fix it. And it's interesting because now I have, I still have muscle tension dysphonia, but now I am able to perform again and be a medium. And I started this podcast and now I'm on the spiritual path where I get to be of service in the most fulfilling ways. If I had to choose between acting and mediumship and spirituality, I would choose the mediumship. I don't want to have to choose. I love them both, but I think it's so beautiful that it in these it's in these adverse circumstances that we actually are nudged and pushed kicking what's most delicious to you that's what it's really that's all it's here to do it's here to say hey you're eating this but what you really want to eat this over here and that's it that's all and it's and it's not that you won't eat this over that you don't find this tasty but you're here this your soul is here for what's most delicious yeah. So we'll eat this a little bit sometimes. Yeah. This is the thing that really lights you up. And you're not allowing ourselves to go there. And, we're, and there's so many ways we get just disconnected from the deliciousness of life. Remember, this is supposed to be heaven too. Mm-hmm. So this is supposed to be delicious. And by the way, heaven is the dimension of love. So when I say this is supposed to be heaven too, you are supposed to experience love at every turn in this life experience too that's what people who cross over to the other side when they say i feel loved beyond because that is the dimension of love that is the dimension of source and source is love this is also supposed to be the dimension of love it's supposed to be the dimension where you experience love in the physical um and when we get disconnected from that and we get socialized or traumatized away from that we have to have something that says, hey, stop and come over back over here to love. Mm-hmm. Come back over here. And that's the thing. I would not have thought before that I would have, that doing what I do would be as delicious. By the way, I never asked to be a medium. I didn't want to be a medium. Um, I, I wanted to be a channel. I thought channeling was really cool. Channeling came last, by the way, from all of my intuitive gifts um, because my intuitive gifts were open in succession to what most I, I most needed to help myself heal at the times. So, um, but I never would have thought I would be doing this. I would have never seen this. I would have never seen this for myself. And it feels like the most natural, most beautiful, most delicious, you know, not just this, but all the writing poetry and all the other things that I do, they feed me. And that's the thing, we are supposed to be fed and to be fed what is most delicious to us. 
And that is what your journey is about. Your journey yeah. is about um, coming home to what feeds you and what is most deliciously feeds you. Yep. And I think in those moments, it's so hard to have faith. I always have faith until something hard happens. And I've never had a tattoo in my entire life because I was always so afraid of the permanence. And this is my precious body. And I'm actually having my, my uh, cousin's going to do it. So it's going to take a while, but I intend to have the word trust written here as a touchstone for me because no, I just got chills. Um, because in mediumship, it's all trust in, mm -hmm. in life, it's all trust. <laughs> and now everything flows so smoothly because now when something doesn't work out for me, the way that I thought it would, or the way I wanted it to, I go, I mean, it doesn't mean it's not, there's not resistance there. And I'm just totally Zen, but I'm always know now trust there. It's a, there's a reason for it and just trust. And every time it ends up blossoming into something better that I couldn't have even imagined for myself. And now this is the most at peace and myself I've ever felt. And I know it came with a lot of kicking and screaming and re refusing and resisting and, and not allowing. And it just, it, and I'm so I think it's wonderful that you do the work you do to help other people get there. And um, it's, it's just such a, an incredible gift and an honor to be, able, to be able to share what you've learned with others, but also just to show the love that you, to expand that love out and care for others and to be of service to others in such a sacred way. It's, it's so awesome. And that's why I just keep getting massive chills mm -hmm. talking about it because it does feel so true that you were meant to have this near-death experience. You were always an intuitive. You were always, you were put here to do spiritual work. None of it's an accident. And like you said, who would ever ask, you know, for AIDS? Who would ever ask for something like that? But the thing that really moves me about interviewing the people that I do is that almost all of them say the same thing. I didn't want to be hit by a truck. I didn't want to become you know, not have use of my legs, but what it led to is open my life up in these ways that I couldn't have possibly ever imagined. And now I'm just so grateful for it. And yeah, I think that's also God so inspiring. Thank you. Yeah. That's what I love to say. I, I didn't ask for it. I wouldn't have wanted it, but thank God it happened. Yeah. And thank God you're here to just mm -hmm. bless us with your presence and to just live, to be a living example of what you teach, which is just to give love and to be love. And I just can't, I get these incredible chills, but Yay. also, and I just want to thank you because for showing up for, for this project, for showing up and sharing what, you know, mm -hmm. it means so much to me because this is a passion of mine too. And I may have a smaller reach now. It's I know that it's going to be bigger and I know that it's a, uh, it's a ripple effect too, that, the people who hear the message that you have will will then go on to to keep spreading that message and to keep it in mind and to be mindful about oh yeah let's refocus let's regroup so i just want to thank you so much for your time and just showing up because with all the things you have in your life and that we all do just just your energy is such a gift and it's so incredible to know you oh thank you so 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 much this has been a joy and yeah your 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 light is only going to continue to expand and i'm going to be really excited to see probably from a year from now 
where Thank it is. You. Likewise. Um, now, is there and is there anything that you want to share? I'm going to put your website underneath in the description, but is there anything else you'd like to share that you're working on that people can um, attend or um, I know they can go to your website to work with you? Yeah. yeah, you can go to my website, but I also have a course. It's an online course. Uh, it is created from, uh, I did a live um, membership group for a year where I taught um, every week about how to really um, heal yourself and manifest a more delicious life through the practice of self-love. And this course is created after I ended that live uh, membership group where it was like, oh my God, you have to put that material out because it was just transformative. It was so healing. It was beyond anything I understood. So I did that. I just gathered up all the recordings and created an online course out of it called Self-Love Academy. And you can get that on my website. Um, I don't make a lot of promises, but I can promise, I will promise this, it will transform you if you go through it. That is a promise that I can make. Um, the material there is probably some things you've probably never heard before. There's a lot of exercises that you can do at your own pace. Um, the classes, every class is, goes very in depth about something um, and you'll leave every class. This was something everybody who has ever gotten the course has said, I think there's nothing else I, I need to learn. And then I go to the next class and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is blowing my mind. So Self-Love Academy online course, um, you can take it at your leisure. There's over... I don't even know how many hours of material are in there now, but you're going, it's a bang for your buck. I promise you that. Awesome. Um, and you can check it out. All the things I've talked about here, I go into in depth uh, in that academy. That's so exciting. I just love this. Uh, again, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to see what else you do. I can't wait to read your poetry when it comes out and you're ready to release it into the world and um, bless you. And I'm just so glad to know you. Thank you. Bless you and thank you. It was an honor. Mm -hmm.